Welcome to Kogel Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. I'm film critic Gary Kogel, and today a remarkable new horror thriller. It's called A Quiet Place, and it's written, directed by, and starring John Krasinski and his real-life wife, Emily Blunt. It's a film that everyone is talking about. Also, I'll be hosting Oscar winner Jeff Bridges on stage May 1st in Dallas. We're going to talk about everything from The Last Picture Show to The Big Lebowski, I can't wait, to Crazy Heart and Hell or High Water. We'll share a bit about how this came about later on in the show. I'm wine expert Haley Hamilton Cogill. For A Quiet Place, a few wines we are sipping that will leave you utterly speechless, which is really needed because nobody speaks in this film. <laughs> And I returned to this beautiful big island of Hawaii recently from a South American adventure in Chile, where they are making some unexpected, simply delicious, cool climate wines. Really, really special wines that I can't wait to talk about. But before we get to that, Gary, can we please talk about this fantastic film? I love this film. Okay, we're we're both like over the moon on this film. Yeah, you know, I I I kind of when I first saw Get Out, I wasn't over the moon, and then I saw it again, and I started going crazy over that film. And and I'm not going to compare the two, but just in the genre of kind of a horror, horror thriller, films, that yeah. being more of a comedy horror film, where this is not a comedy at all. No. <clears throat> Excuse me. In fact, uh, this movie scared the ever-loving daylights out of me. It made me nervous the entire time. I was nervous going into it because I knew a lot about mm-hmm. it. But at the same time, sometimes you're expecting, you're not expecting a movie to be made sometimes on that level. It's mm-hmm. a $17 million film, which, which is, is nothing. A, a very much a small budget with yeah. two big stars like that. And he wrote it, co-wrote it and directed it. Right. And stars. And yeah. stars in it. Where this, you know, And his wife wasn't going to do the film. And then she read the screenplay and said, I have to do this film. I think it's a great choice between the two of them. That, well, and I think that there's some, I don't want to interrupt you, no, but no. I think that there's something so... What draws you in, what drew me in so much more was the fact that you knew that they were, you know, that these, they're a couple. Yeah. And so, and they're a couple that we both also like a lot. We, we have followed both of their careers and, and uh, like, I think. She was Ellen, the young Victoria. Exactly. I think yeah. she's fantastic. And, and so knowing their relationship and knowing that kind of going in and then seeing how all of this plays out made it that much. I was more emotionally invested just from the get go. Right. And then, you know, before the first, before the, the, the title credit even rolled, like the most, tra- one of the most tragic scenes of the entire film <laughs> takes place. Happens before the title. Yeah. Opening so title you were, sequence, you yeah. were in immediately. Yeah. You know, and this is about a family and it's about, it, it's a family and it, it, it just kind of opens with something has happened in the world. It's a, po- it's a post-apocalyptic thriller. So you don't know how many people are left in the world, but these are. this is an isolated family in a farm compound in their farm in the countryside. And they and it says something like 400 days into it yeah, or something like yeah. that. So something horrible has happened. And you find out right away early that there are creatures out there and they sprint and they're fast and they are only motivated in their viciousness by sound. Uh, they can't see anything, but they can hear everything. So they have a heightened sense of hearing. So if you cough, if you snore, if you um, if, if you just if you laugh, if you have any kind of you know, if you experience any kind of joy or sorrow out loud, you, you're dead as a doorknob. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they just go after you. And there's kids, and and there's a husband and wife, and they've rigged their home. To at least help them cope with everything, so they and they have a, a deaf daughter, so they've all learned to sign as well, and so they're all they're all signing and they're all not talking, 
and there you you develop about twenty minutes into this film a heightened sense of hearing as mm-hmm. well. Every they put sand everywhere so they can walk barefoot. Nobody wears shoes, but they're on a farm, and so they're outside and they're growing food, and they, you know, they just have to be really quiet. And yes, a horrible, horrible thing happens early, and 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 it motivates you to just just don't say anything. Right. Just and how do you stay alive? And how can you have a life? It reminds reminds me a little bit of watch of the Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. In that, in these weird worlds, these post-apocalyptic worlds where crazy things have happened, you've got to figure out how to survive. How do you and so, would I do it that way? I don't know. It doesn't matter. They do it the way they do it. Right. I'm not trying to reinvent this film, but they are so good, and you believe in them so much, yeah. and they really love their kids, and their kids are smart, and the kids love them, and they're all just trying to deal with it. And there's an immense apron of sorrow in this movie of just mm-hmm. sadness. And and I don't want that to keep people away from it because, no, because it's, it's so the good. film has an immense sense of beauty to it. Right, the farm is beautiful. Right, the countryside's beautiful. How and and some of the different scenes, how you know how the scenes were shot, the relationship between the mm-hmm. father and son, the the relationship between the the two of them, the the you know their the camera angles and you know for for when I think of John Krasinski, I, I think of him on, as an actor, but to take the directing side. And then to see what he has done, it's it's pretty cool. It's technically pretty yeah. awesome yeah. film. Now you can poke holes in the logic sure. of it all you want. It's post apocalyptic horror film, exactly. so you can you can poke holes in the logic of it as much as you want. There's a, this wonderful scene with a Neil Young song, mm-hmm. where the husband and wife really have kind of the only intimate moment where they just they just dance, mm-hmm. and they're wearing headphones so nobody because there's no sound. And it just fills the theater with sound, and you're so happy to hear something, and you realize that no nobody else can hear it but them as they dance. And then you know, kids will be kids, and adults will be adults, and everybody's going to mess up at some point. But in this movie, if you mess up, you die. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's it's crazy. And then you know, that's about all I'm going to say. And there are other pockets of people out in the countryside too mm-hmm. that you don't, also survive. You realize there are survivors out there because they light fires at night and. Uh, and they, that's kind of how they know other people are still alive out there. But you don't go find them, and you can't. Well, and that's the thing. Yeah. If you do, then how do you? If you go and find someone, and you meet someone that's new, that's more noise. What do you, exactly. What do you do? You say hello. Well, no, not in this world. There's more noise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just it's an awful, awful world. And she's kind of the center of the universe. But it's really about the love of parents and what parents will do to protect their the children. Kids. And and also to forgive their children, you know, because it's just there's yeah. stuff going on there. We loved just, it. We loved it. So I want to say one thing that the movie has uh, opened really huge, and it's it just hit uh, over the, this weekend a hundred million dollars worldwide. It was made for seventeen million. Had a fifty million dollar opening weekend. I don't think half the country has even discovered the film yet, and it has yet to open in China, which mm-hmm. is now the largest film market in the world, more than America, and and more than Europe. And it's it's going to be amazing when that happens. So yeah, it's cool. So uh, we love this film. It's difficult. It's not a wine drinking movie. Well, so this, although we would, well, of course, but we, we would be very quiet about we it. We would be very quiet, which brings us to a wine. You know, there are certainly wines that that we enjoy that kind of beg to to be enjoyed. With sound, you know, you think about opening a bottle of champagne that, you You're know, dead. you need. You're gone. And, and you know, or kind of, you know, when you're having cocktails with your friends, you know, let's let's open a, mm-hmm. a, a you know, let's have rosé all day and ga- gab and gossip. And, um, yeah, this is, you can't really do that with this film. 
But you can enjoy a wine that basically you should just sit back with your eyes closed and really contemplate the wine quietly, savor it, sip it, enjoy it, and really understand what the wine is. And that's, you know, wine wine can get a little geeky, and, and I certainly am geeky about it. But there there is a lot of a really great glass of wine has a lot going on in it. It's a living, breathing thing. Mm-hmm. And, and the nuances and the characteristics and, and the personality of that wine, especially a great wine that comes through, is something that really should be kind of appreciated and, and, and acknowledged and, and, you know, focused on. And that, to me, you do that very quietly. So for... Me, that was probably the first time I had a Barolo, which I remember. Oh, I love you speechless. The, the Nebbiolo fruit. It just, I had never tasted anything. I had never tasted anything like it before. And I, to this day, am always kind of awestruck by the, 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 everything that's going on inside glass of Barolo. Mm-hmm. And, from from more youthful styles, there's uh, been a trend in recent years because Nebbiolo inherently is a very tannic, robust, rich, hearty fruit um, that really needs a long time in um, in barrel and then a long time in bottle to kind of soften those tannins, let those tannins fall out to really kind of enjoy it. But there has been a, a new style in recent years, just because so many people don't want to wait and hold wine in their cellars forever and ever, um, to kind of produce more juicy, lighter bodied um, types of Nebbiolo and Barolo. Um, Ricosa is one of those Ricosas mm-hmm. who I traveled to Piemonte with several years ago and and really appreciate that style, but also appreciate the the leathery tar filled you know bitter orange and and red rose nuances of of some kind of classically made brolos um it what? just it it just and i don't even remember what it was i don't know what the brand was i just remember saying wow this is this is something completely unique and and really is understandable why it is the king. It's considered the king of Italian wine, and um, and and it's special. There was what's the wine that we we took when we had dinner at French Laundry or that was a Rubicon. It it's was, a Rubicon. It was Nibam Coppola's Rubicon, which yeah. was also I'll say the first time I had that wine um, was pretty i i was i was taken aback by and mm-hmm. that was the first one that i had this is the historic inglenook property in in napa valley um that since coppola purchased it he had kind of re um renamed the the rubicon which is their kind of signature classic um high-end wine they had he had renamed it Nibam Coppola, and now he's gone back to just Inglenook Rubicon. Mm-hmm. So that's how it is um, branded now. Um, but again, that would that would be another great example of something those are very that, valuable bottles. That that and yeah, I mean, yeah. I think they're about I think it's like two fifty or something like yeah. that. So you know, certainly not an inexpensive wine. But again, that's a wine that you just kind of take in because of all of the different nuances. 
and <laughs> and there are so many wines you know we've we've talked about them before you know i love a good porch pounder i love something yeah. i just i don't have to think about and it's hot outside and i just want to drink this and and enjoy it and not not even give it a second thought but there are so many wines that have so much character and tell a story in the glass that that really make you think and make make you kind of there's a speechless wine for me yes it, yeah and it won't because that's how i was going to ask it's you it's not so your favorite your, oh, okay well it can be whatever it is yeah um yeah but it but it was a turning point for me that wine could be on a higher level because i was so i'm staying at the four seasons in beverly hills on doheny yes and i'm there to interview tommy lee jones and he's a terrible interview and difficult and mama <laughs> and he, you know, he answers, yep, nope, yep, nope, and just, you know, he's just difficult. And I, lo- I love him as an actor. So I'm about to go in and interview him for about tenth time. And I go to the bar at the Four Seasons, and they're having, um, they're having um, an Opus One festival. And this guy pours me like a two ounce pour of Opus One, and it's got a line on the glass that you can't, yeah. you know, it's yeah. just pretentious as all get out. And I drink that, and I've never had anything yeah. quite like that. And I thought. Oh, and it, it's kind of opened my mind up to just you know well, how much is that yeah. and ooh that's expensive and but it, but it was the first time I'd had a red that was really silky smooth right. to me. Well, and I think that that we talked about on the show um, last year the when I had a chance to go out to Napa for Mandavi's fiftieth mm-hmm. anniversary event and you know that glass of Opus One that you had. Pr- I bet it was delicious. I think Opus One is a delicious wine. Um, I think that a lot of wines, especially 20 years ago in Napa, the the styles have changed. And I think we're actually seeing today a kind of transition back to some of the style that we did see in the, the 70s and 80s as the region was really mm-hmm. um, being developed and everything wasn't over-extracted and over-oaked and, and in your face and high alcohol. And, and we are seeing these wines that, that are a little bit more subtle and a little bit more, more nuanced. Because some, some of those old vintage Robert Madavi wineries were were um, Cabernets were uh, gorgeous, and even you know through the years, some of the ones that were a little bit bigger and a little bit higher alcohol and a little bit more um, robust and 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 what we think of as a lot of Napa Cab now have softened a little bit just right. because you know some of the tannin and the the hardiness of them have have softened through the years and. So I, you know, we we still we drink a lot of Napa Cab. We love it. Oh, we love, celebrate it. it exactly. Oh, of course we do. Exactly. Yeah, I have, I have all kinds of favorites. But that was a that was a life changing moment yeah. for me. And then I met you, and everything changed. Well, and I know you're yeah. a huge Bordeaux fan. Which I'm a also, huge Bordeaux fan. You know, yeah. kind of makes everything a little. So bit. what I'm saying is that was the that was a moment for me. I've had tons of wine, so much better than mm. that. But I, if anybody ever wants to open a bottle of Opus, we'll certainly one, drink it. I'll drink it we'll with ha- you. Well. <laughs> I'm there. Hey, when we come back on Cogill Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing, Haley has just returned from the South American country of Chile. Has a lot to say about some of the remarkable wines that she sampled on that trip. Plus, she's off to Napa celebrating the 45th anniversary of Chandon. And they were both off to Napa in a few weeks for the 20th annual Vineyard to Vintner event. That's in the Stag's Leap region. And then we're out to Dallas, Texas soon for an evening with actor Jeff Bridges. We had a lot going on. We are traveling. And we will be right back. Welcome back to Cogill Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. And welcome back to Haley, who recently returned from a very quick trip to Chile, where 
I'm going to ask you, some of the wines that you sampled were really surprising they to were. you on that trip. They were. It was a very quick trip. Um, I think I was in the air more than I was on the on the ground. That's a long trip. <laughs> but so it was so worth it because it was so meaningful and, and really so eye-opening. You know, when I think of uh, what I had thought of Chilean wine was more the Bordeaux varieties. Right. You know, we... I, I, Big fat reds. Cabernet, um, Carmenieres kind of became their signature grape. Um they they're big hardy reds grown in in hot weather mainly in and the more southern part of the country but we were up in the northern part of the country the Casablanca region it kind of flew into Santiago and then drove maybe an hour outside so very close to the Pacific um, there's kind of a coastal mountain range that can I track your flight with you because I'm fascinated by this so we live on the big island of Hawaii yes which that's where we're talking right now. And by the way, it's really windy. So windy, here, yes. Outside. So you so you fly from Kona to Kona to L.A. 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 to Lima, Peru, Lima. and then Lima to Santiago. That's like twenty hours, isn't it? it, it at was, least it was a two two night flight. Two night flight. Yes, to to arrive and I <laughs> to then, spend two days and I then was do there. it again. I was there for three, okay. and then yeah, it's and then two nights coming back. But you know, like I said, there I am so blessed to have an opportunity to go and see and do and and have these experiences that I will get on any plane any day because to me this is what makes the story of the wine so special this is when you see when you see not only the land and the vineyards that have been developed but you also meet these winemakers that are so passionate. Um, one of the hosts of this trip was a winery um, in Chile it's Veramonte their winemaker, Rodrigo Soto, was working at Benzinger and Napa. I had actually met him several years ago and had interviewed him when he was there. And Benzinger, very well known for their organic, biodynamic, sustainable farming. And Rodrigo is, is a massive proponent of it. He was lured to Veramonte, kind of back to his homeland. He is Chilean to to bring some of these concepts, specifically making all of their estate vineyards organic, Um and and to to really mainly to make them organic because it makes better wine and there's kind of this whole debate on on you know going through the organic process and and what does biodynamic really mean and it's pretty grilling it's very grilling it's to actually achieve the certification it's many many years of work and and what happens if you have a natural disaster and you have an organically certified vineyard uh, there are a lot of vineyards that that kind of farm with that methodology, but don't actually get the certification because yeah, if something is going to wipe out your entire vineyard, what do you do? What do you do? Do you, do you, if you have a pest that you need to get rid of and the only way is through a chemical product, do you spray that or yeah. do you follow your, your instincts? But the thing that I loved about this and, and another winery that we, um, that was kind of one of the sponsors of the trip is an, I can I can never. It's the Terroir Hunter line of the wines from Angorda, and um, then went to visit Kingston and Matetic, and had a fantastic um, visit with a winery named Villard. had had just some really interesting wines that I had actually never heard of, but all of their stories were so similar, and that we farm in a very clean manner because we want our wines to taste like this land wow. and to tell the story of, of, of their, of their land, of their soils, of their terroir, of their, 
Um, it's, it's, they are not trying to make Burgundy. They're not trying to make Willamette Valley Pinot Noir. You know, it is New but World. But just that they make Pinot. It's New World Pinot, but it's with a very, very, um, int- you know, intricate Chilean style. Very fresh. It, but it, if you think about, so where espe- these vineyards, especially the San Antonio, uh, Leda region, as well as Casablanca, again, kind of all around Santiago, uh, they Pacific Ocean, so ocean influence, Mediterranean influence. There's a coastal mountain range, so that also um, kind of brings in. There, there's almost a valley that a lot of these vineyards kind of sit in. So you have the the cooling breezes off the Pacific, um, the vines that were kind of guarded by this this coastal mountain range, and then you do have the Andes Mountains then to the west, and so it's almost like you have this valley. Of, uh, of of area that's almost like a perfect, cool climate growing condition, as, somewhat similar to Russian River. There are a yeah. lot of streams that also roll through this, so that brings in morning fog, which, again, is it's really necessary yeah. for for Pinot Noir to thrive. It's very hot during the day, but, but cold at night. So, again, you have that good diurnal shift. That means hot temperatures going to cold temperatures, sometimes upwards of 50-degree 50, uh, 50 shift which basically ripens your fruit during the day but then keeps all that freshness and acidity and that was really the main thing that i found in these wines um veramonte's ritual is kind of their uh signature one of their signature wines from this area that has so much freshness and so much there was such great acidity with such kind of character and such such juiciness and 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 really great fruit there's also just a really interesting element of minerality that kind of carried through through all of the wines. The soils are are filled with kind of well draining sandy loam soils, but there's also a lot of kind of broken up granite in the soils that ha- add to that kind of earthiness and minerality. Um, and then almost a, a, a Garrigue kind of note because as we um, drove out through many of the vineyards, you saw a lot of just natural kind of uh, natural habitats. So you have um, a lot of wildflowers, a a, a lot of, of, you know, lots of wild herbs, lots of wild thyme, lots of, um, you know, a little forest areas. You know, it's especially with this kind of farming, you know, I saw several compost fields if, you know, we, 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 but I, I loved that because that's the way that you, that you truly not only protect Mother Earth, which is necessary, um, especially as as vintners are seeing growing seasons, you know, becoming shorter and shorter, mm-hmm. and 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 the ability to grow hot weather grapes becoming much more difficult, and cool weather grapes actually thriving more because things are changing. things are, are absolutely changing and and the ability to get something really ripe is getting harder and harder so um can i ask so you about the actually, pinots is, is the flavor profile similar to, to some of these other you know pinot it's, regions it, or, it's, or is it its own thing it's it's kind of its own thing That's i mean it, sounds like. it does have it of course it has similarities pinot noir is pinot noir is pinot noir but it really i think pinot is it's Pinot to me kind of reminds me of a mushroom where it, um, you know, you put a mushroom in anything and it's going to really adapt to the flavor of that broth or that sauce or that whatever it's. And yet the mushrooms with. are all different. And yet the, the, 
but a mushroom's still a mushroom. Right. And so um, you're it's it's not going to taste like a burgundy. It's like it's not going to yeah. taste like the earthiness that you find from a Willamette Valley Pinot Noir. Um, I guess maybe similar to some California styles, just because it is. You did get some really great ripe fruit, and and mm-hmm. I think that that California Pinots often bring in a little bit more of the fruity element versus the earthy element. But then you had this this mineral note that kind of carried through into yeah. some of these wines. It's so. an amalgam of different areas of, of its, and, while and i just, just use the word amalgam uh, yes too. but but it's kind of just its own it's uh, its own complete thing it's not like a new zealand pinot noir yeah. also because new zealand pinots are are getting quite popular um it's not like an australian pinot it's not like it's it's really just its own it, it's telling its own That's story cool. and i i really really lovely the people were fantastic you know we had we had some sea bass and yet we didn't call it chilean sea bass we just called it sea bass <laughs> like you don't call it french champagne exactly. it's just champagne <laughs> by the way um, you used the uh i used the, you know that 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 term i just used yes uh, but you used uh garrigue and diurnal shift yes. and compost all, all within in five one. minutes <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm lacking our vocabulary <laughs> shift here I take a lot of medicine for my diurnal shift. shift. It makes me a whole lot better. Okay, you're you're off to uh, Napa. Napa, a couple of Napa trips back to back. Next week, I'm going uh, out for Shandon's 45th anniversary. So Shand's, Shandon Sparkling Wine, owned by Moet Hennessy. Um, can't that, wait. That's beautiful property. It's a we've beautiful been there. property. We've been there we quite had, a few times. We've had some beautiful, beautiful tastings there. Have have done some. Uh, extensive uh, visits and work with yeah. them just in kind Love of understanding their, their their story, uh, sustainably farmed, heart of Yauntville, um, was kind of Moet's uh, really signature project outside of Champagne. So making a, a, a classic Champagne, Method Champenois, but in, in California, and yep. I'm, I'm excited. They have a new winemaker. This is going to be kind of the, the interesting thing as they celebrate this 45th anniversary. They have a new winemaker, a female winemaker, which is, you know, I'm always happy to see yeah. another female winemaker out there uh, named Pauline Lote. I believe that's how I you pronounce her last name. I haven't met her yet, so I will know exactly how to pronounce her uh, last name on the next show. But she's bringing kind of a new a new style, and so I'll be curious to see wh- what exactly that is. You know, I think that that sparkling wine as a whole is a is an, a constantly growing category. Prosecco is is seeing you know continual growth and consumer spending and and so that kind of fruity light fun style is certainly very popular and so i'll be curious to see what you know this new yeah. focus for shandon is they and i know they've done a lot of different things like they made a, a new product that is meant to be drunk over ice and you know i think of that as like wow you're putting ice in your champagne what what is that but they they they've come out with this it's very popular they have they have uh, several new styles that maybe are a little have a little bit more dosage or a little bit sweeter than some of their brute styles so you know it'll be kind of fun just to understand what they're seeing the trends are and what the the focus will be for the future of the of the brand are you playing croquet while you're there we are we we have i think our our last day there's a there's a beautiful picnic at meadowood which you know sign me up any day one of my favorite places in the world world. 
And then, yes, we're getting a a um, a little lesson from the the pro at Meadowood. Yeah. The chef there is uh, nominated for James Beard again. We ad- I yeah. love Christopher Costa. No, I think he's. I think he is brilliant. I think that's. I mean, that's like uh, French Laundry kind of stuff yes, to me. I agree. And then we're going back. I'm going with you. Uh, Which I can't wait for you to go we're with the Stag's me. Leap. We're at the Stag's Leap. Um, AVA celebrates their 20th annual Vineyard to Vintner event in two weeks. I know that there's still information out on on their website. And I know that there's still some some tickets available because I think this is one of the coolest things that the region does. We did something similar to this last year when we went to Dry Creek and right. Sonoma that we talked about on the show. And um, this is just in the Stag's Leap region, which I'm... This is all... This is my wheelhouse. I know this is this is making Gary very Schaefer's excited. There. The nice thing it's it's a pretty small you know Stagleaf's a pretty small little pocket of Napa Valley, but again, very unique. The region it is its own little pocket is that the soils in that little area are unlike anything, you know, a mile away. Right. It's completely different than even across the road and, and different yeah. than Yauntville. And yes, you have Odette, you have Schaefer, you have Pine Ridge, you have. Cliff Lette. You have Stag's Leap Wine Cellars that was the the winning wine for the Judgment of Paris. Mm-hmm. We are um, being hosted by Stag's Leap Winery, which will be very gracious there. We're staying at their um, Thank at the winery. you, Mr. Stag's Leap. And, um, <laughs> and something that I love, and it's basically an opportunity to, to visit some of these wineries that really are only open. Um, many of them are, are not open ever to the public. Some of them are appointment only. Um, like Schaefer really, this is an event, the main event occurs on Saturday. They're never open on Saturday and they're mm-hmm. always by appointment only. But if you can't be there uh, Monday through Friday, like in the morning, yeah. then you don't get into yeah. Schaefer. So this is a really great opportunity. It's not a wander in kind of right, place. Right, right. Yeah. To, to taste, you know, some of it, some of the best wines that I think, earthy, dense, hearty, rich. This is Napa Cab. You know, the, the, when you think kind of classic Napa Cab, that's, yep. that's what this region is. And then I love just as, as the region continues to rebuild from the wildfire, the wildfires that hit the, the Napa and Sonoma last year, um, a portion of the ticket sales and proceeds are going to go to, to kind of helping some of those Good. relief efforts, which I just always love to see. It's nice to see that. And, and of course it's, it hasn't been long enough, but it's just good to see that, that the efforts continue to get back so and then we're going to get on a plane yeah we're going to leave stag's leap fly direct to dallas and then on may 1st uh you have a big event you'll be in the audience i'll be backstage i'll walk out on stage with jeff bridges it's the tate lecture series at mcfarland auditorium it's part of the smu tate lecture series uh on the smu campus it's about 3,500 people in mcfarland it's always sold out this is my third one to do i did one with martin sheen a few years ago and one recently with Rob Lowe, yeah. and then this is the great Jeff Bridges, yeah. and and you have to pull out a lot of conversation out of him, and he's very dry and funny, and he's also a musician because of Crazy Heart, yeah. but this goes back to the Texas Made, um, uh, the Last Picture show, show, which he was nominated for an Oscar. I think he was a teenager. Yeah. I think he was like nineteen or twenty when he made that film, and it made him very famous. But I mean, just against all odds, Starman. I can't wait to talk about Starman. Jagged Edge. I love that film of Glenn Close. Love. The Big Lebowski. I get to hang out with the dude and talk about <laughs> the dude abides, man. Or the Duder or Duder Rooney. Uh, Crazy Heart, which he won the Oscar for. Hill or High Water, which everybody now thinks he's a Texan. Yeah, it's kind of like Robert Duvall. We've always thought Jeff Bridges is a Texan, but he's not. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and True Grit, Fisher King, ah, with Robin Williams. 
Tucker, the man in his dream. Yeah. I mean, he's got about 100 of them, and I'm just listening to a few of them. But that'll be really fun. So it's a sold-out event. Um, these are hard tickets to get. The Tate Lecture Series is really one of they the best do a ones really, yeah. in the country. And, you know, we'll have a little dinner with him before. It's an intimate venue, but... but People so are it, right on you. They're it, right next to you. Yeah. They fill the stage with part of the audience, too, let alone the 3,500-seat auditorium. That's where I... I, remember, I used to go see concerts in that auditorium. Mm. I saw Bare Naked Ladies twice in that show. Nice. Thanks to Terry David Mulligan getting me in. Nice. So, yeah, nice. we have... Th- this is really fun stuff, and I, you know... We are grateful for the opportunity. We, uh, yeah. we have pinch ourselves moments yeah. all the time, and Absolutely. I think all of these. It's going to be a couple. I can't wait to come back and talk about them all yeah. after we've had these experiences. So, and, we'll and everything we've talked about right now, we would be dead in a quiet place. <laughs> Just explaining a bottle of wine, dead. Waiter, dead. You know, turn on the water too loud, dead. Yeah, it's just not, God, it's a great film. Next time on Kogel Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing, more new films arriving in local theaters, a lot of wines to match, and stories to tell. But for more on the wines and films we talked about today, please check out our blog on kogelconsulting.com or through Facebook. Be sure to follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Kogel. And to see what we're drinking now, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas Uncorked. And with that, I'm Gary Kogel, and as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. I'm Haley Hamilton Kogel, always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on Kogel Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. Aloha.